Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, in this penitential season, we come before you, admitting and confessing before you the many times that we have failed to keep your law. We are so grateful for the outpouring of your love in the sending of your Son, our Savior. We pray tonight that you would once again comfort us in your grace and forgiveness and that you would stir up our hearts in lives of true faith and appreciation for such grace. We ask this all in our Savior's precious name. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's kindness, his grace, and compassion is yours to be found only in that Savior. Amen. Sometimes you can see determination in a person's face. Maybe an athlete or a child that's trying to do something. You can see it in their eyes. Sometimes you can hear it in their voice. And you can just get a sense being around somebody when they're just very resolved to try to get something done. And I often wonder in the story in front of us regarding Peter talking to Jesus that night what he looked like, what his eyes looked like, and what his voice sounded like when he was so determined to say, I will never, I will never leave you. Don't even suggest it, Lord, is kind of what he's saying. He says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Just such solid determination. And there's something about it that's admirable. When we hear that, we think, well, that's, it's great to see someone that committed to protecting this friend of his and uh, this great Messiah. And often wonder what his voice sounded like when he said all of that. But it doesn't take long, just a little bit deeper into the chapters. And we start to see this determination fall apart from Peter. Even though he's the one that can also take his sword to defend Jesus and cut off Malchus's ear to protect him from getting arrested. Just a few hours later, he's sitting around a campfire and people notice how he's talking and start charging him with belonging to this guy who's now on trial. And all of a sudden, he just quivers away like a leaf. In fact, he goes so far as to, as to call down God's condemnation on his very soul if he has anything to do with this Jesus of Nazareth. Just think of what a what vacillation that is from, from being so determined that, I've, that he's saying in the one hand, I'll die before I'll ever let go of you. And then just hours later, here he is just fading away from him. It's interesting how this can be in our lives too. Our human determination can be so strong on the one hand, but then fade so quickly, just be so fickle. And Jesus knows this about Peter's heart. He knows it about all of our hearts for that matter. And he predicts to him here to, to teach him a lesson. Tonight you will deny me three times. Three times. And so the vacillation in the lives of, of God's even close disciples and faithful ones is a regular, a regular story and pattern that we see uh, happening throughout the, the stories of the Bible. Think about Lot in the Old Testament. Here's this man who is such a firm believer that God singles him and his family out 
to protect them and get them out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah before the destruction comes of those cities, that he's one of the righteous ones who is believing in the coming Messiah and all of that. And yet, just not even a full chapter later, he's now drunk in his tent incestuously with his daughters. Think of David, the great king of Israel, anointed by Samuel, selected, hand-selected by God to be the next great king over Israel, to follow Saul. And, and God even says about him that the Lord, the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's often referred to as a man after God's own heart. And then that same David can be the one that cheats on a man's wife and brings her up to the palace and has the man killed and so on. Talk about vacillating. Paul. Paul describes himself. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. And he, he can express such humility about himself. And yet at the same time, he has to admit that God finally sends trouble into his life because he was becoming so conceited. It's an acknowledgement of, of how up and down he could be as far as his commitment to the Savior and so on. And that's certainly true about me too. There's times that I can just have such determination about Christ and be so committed to the gospel and the things of God's kingdom, but just how quickly that can fade away to nothing. The fickleness of our hearts, the weakness of our sinful human condition is it's not always on display to everybody around us, but if we're really honest with ourselves, it can be on display right inside of ourselves. We can be so inconsistent and erratic and unpredictable about our faith. And, and boy, we can look out at all the evil in the world and we can rightly understand it and see how bad it is and nasty it is and label it and talk about it. And yet the self-righteous attitude that can rise up in our hearts, the pride that can rise up in our hearts that we're not as bad as that wicked world out there, we can sometimes fail to see that that's also a sin before God. I remember there was a man years ago when I was serving a congregation who came to me after communion. We had communion service. And he came to me after communion and wanted to talk to me in my office and he shut the door and he said, I'm so mad at myself. He said, here I am at the Lord's table, taking the Lord's Supper. And I'm having thoughts about people at the Lord's Supper with me. Evil thoughts about them. He said, I just can't get away from my sinfulness. In God's eyes, immorality is not a, a game of degrees. It's, it's just a condition that we're in because of our sinfulness. It's just something we need to understand about ourselves. Even the best of Christians, even the strongest of Christians, immorality is not a game of degrees. It's simply a condition that we are in. Now, it's interesting that this account of Peter's fall is laid out for us in these texts as we go through Jesus' passion. And the Holy Spirit makes sure to include these little stories and the little interactions between Peter and Jesus for our benefit. As St. Paul said, these, all the things in Scripture were written so that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. And it's interesting how often it is that God makes sure to include the weaknesses, the fickleness 
of those who, who, on the one hand, can be such strong believers, but he makes sure to include those in Scripture, and here's why. So not a single one of us ever gets the impression that somehow we get right with God by how well we follow his commands. Because even his greatest and strongest believers, even the champions of the faith that are held in front of us in Scripture, he makes sure to include their evil, their wickedness, their weakness, he makes sure to include the, the corruption in their hearts and lives, just like in ours, so that you and I can look at people like that in the scriptures, whether it's Paul or Moses or Abraham or whomever, and say, well, if he can still get to heaven, so can I. If someone who displays that kind of wickedness, despite having a strong faith on the one hand, but then so weak in the next, if someone like that can actually still get to heaven by God's grace, so can I. Even the, the best and strongest believers could not live up to God's commands in order to gain their entrance into heaven. And that's why our Lord has to go ahead with his passion and ultimately go to the cross for all of us, good and evil alike. And Thank God that in this Jesus Christ, in this divine man, we see perfect determination to keep the will of God. Not wavering and fluctuating like ours, but perfect determination. And he will, not, he will let nothing get in the way of the sacrifice that he has to make for you and for me. Not even the love of Peter that's twisted here. Not even the, the desire of Peter to stop all of this from happening to him. Our Lord Jesus is determined to get through all of that and every, everything that will be thrown at him in order to ultimately shed his blood for your and my sin and wickedness before God. And that's why Jesus said, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. That's determination. That's what his whole mission and purpose was about. You know, that night we might not have blamed Jesus for kind of laughing at Peter, knowing what was coming. We might, not have, we might not have thought that was out of line for him to kind of rub it into Peter's face, but he doesn't really do that, of course. The nature of Christ is not to, is not to rub our noses in our sin and in our weakness, but rather to restore us, always to restore us. And you get that beautiful picture at the end after Christ rises again from the dead and confronts Peter and he asks him those great questions, Peter, do you love me? And you really get the sense there of Jesus restoring him and, and bringing him back into the fold. And it's Jesus' special way of showing that the sins, even the sins where you have denied me so boldly, calling down curses from God, that even that I have been willing to forgive. And it reminds me of a beautiful passage in the book of Isaiah, one of my favorites. It says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now what does that mean for you, for your life, and for the things that are going on in your own heart and mind and conscience like mine? And there are times when we're weak, there are times when we make mistakes, sometimes big mistakes, sometimes really big mistakes. But a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
It is always God's intent to take that little spark of faith that is left, the one that repents of our sins and sees how sinful we are and how weak we are, and to, to, to fan it back into a flame, to get it to grow back, to take that broken reed and to bend it back into position so that it can continue to grow. And when that process takes place inside of our hearts and our consciences, uh, that's where God the Holy Spirit is at work when that, that beautiful gift of repentance is worked inside of us. It's a very comforting thing because when that's happening, that's God's activity in you. It's not something you're doing. The Bible says even a penitent heart, that's something God is working inside of you. Someone years ago when I graduated seminary gave me a prayer book and inside of that prayer book for pastors, there's a line in there that always stands out to me when I read it. And it basically says this, it's a prayer for asking God for forgiveness and repenting. And then it says, forgive me even for this weak repentance. <laughs> we can't even repent of our sins correctly. We even sin repenting of our sins because it's weak and it's never perfect. Nothing we do is ever perfect. But God is so gracious he can even forgive that. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. And you can see that grace of Christ in this same text when he sets up and establishes this sacred feast of the Lord's Supper. And he tells his disciples that night, do this, notice this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There's an implication in those words, in that command from Jesus, that we're going to need ongoing forgiveness. Do this often. When I was a little child and my parents would come back to the pews after taking the Lord's Supper and they could smell the sweet wine on their breath, I used to look forward to wondering what that was going to be like for me to someday be able to take the Lord's Supper. But I also thought it wasn't it nice that God had taken and, and put his grace coming to us in this unique way through the body and blood of Christ, had put it into something that was so sweet and, and kind of smelled nice so that we would associate his grace with something that is pleasing and pleasant to us. Our Lord Jesus has devised this very special way to take the very thing that he used to pay for every one of your sins, even the worst ones that bother you the most, to take the worst of your sins, his body and blood paid for that, and he now in this special meal puts it into the bread and wine by his words, puts it on your tongue and says, I want you to know how forgiven you really are. I want you to eat the very thing that paid for your entrance into heaven. And our Lord says to us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you in that grace of God, your Savior. Amen.